The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's up, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. Today we have episode 97. So, I did say that I was going to share Beyond Brightside. I thought that was the book that I would be doing. Um, I wasn't completely sure because I... The problem with doing books is you have to listen to every single episode. Short stories is a little bit easier. Uh, if you really want to hear Beyond Brightside, it's going to be on sale in a couple of weeks for 99 cents. If you really, really want to hear it, you can send me a message. I'll send you a free copy. But what we're going to go with instead is 25 Perfect Days. Um, that, I just got a message from audible that they no longer uh, are making a stick to a seven-year commitment for being exclusive so that audiobook uh, before Brightside, which is a short story and five more perfect days are all i just put them up on find a way and so now that means i can distribute them i can do whatever i want before i wouldn't have been able to put it on the podcast but that's what i want to do i think 25 perfect days is uh I, I enjoy it. I've had so many people write to me. They say that's the absolutely their favorite work of mine. Um, it's a little bit hard to follow because of so many characters. I've even had some... Uh, one of my fans sent me a really cool PDF diagramming all the different connections and who dies and who doesn't and all that. Um, but the nice thing with this too, if you miss one or two stories, it's not a big deal. Lots of these stories were first written um, and sold just a horror magazine. So definitely a lot of horror in this. It's a dystopian, call it a mosaic novel, uh, where each of the short stories is somehow connected. It's all set in the same universe. Uh, generally, there's some kind of connection between the characters. Uh, sometimes it's going to be a father, and the next story might be the son. And So it's going to go all over the place. So you get a lot of different perspectives. Um, it is not in first person. Uh, this one's in third person. It's kind of how it, I felt it had to be done. Uh, but I did write 31 Others, which is the 31st story in the series. And that one is, um, that one is first person. And I'll be sharing that at the end of all of this. So, actually, I don't know. Maybe I'll put it where it goes chronologically. I, I, that's probably what I'll do. I'm going to mix them all in so that it all goes in order. I think it's over a 40-year period. But So, that'll be later on at the end of the episode. I will play five more perfect days. Uh, what am I saying? Five minutes alone. That's the first story in it. Um, this week, not too much went on. Although, yesterday, I had the pleasant experience of having this uh, what is it, wisdom tooth pulled um which generally isn't a big deal i thought they put me out but because it was just one they just gave me the injection and just started tugging and he warned me ahead of time the doc the dentist told me he said look he's like you have super long roots so this might take a little while um and we we're going into it and well i didn't feel it i didn't feel anything it was awesome but i mean he was cranking on it he was yanking on it, it took a super long time he's like it's almost out and then it was still that's when I started counting. I was counting in my head in German just to distract myself. I got to over 100 very slowly, having to reset um, before he finally got it out. But he did a good job. Uh, yesterday I was bleeding a lot. Um, that was kind of a pain. In fact, I tried changing one of the things. I figured it wasn't bleeding that much anymore. So I tried changing it while I was driving. And then I got blood all over myself. Um, I should have taken a video of it. It would have been kind of cool just letting the blood ooze out of my mouth. 
but I didn't. So, and I really don't feel like reenacting it. I could tear open the blood clot right now, but let's not do that. Uh, the other big thing that I'm doing right now, it, well, I shouldn't say it sucks, but it does kind of suck. Uh, I, my buddy Eugene, he convinced me to do uh, the same challenge that he's doing. It's a 60-day challenge, which is twice as long as I normally would do a challenge for. Um, but he's having great results. He, he pumped it up. He told me all about it. He convinced me to join. I said I would do it. And then when I signed up, I real it's called uh, Deliberate Discomfort. And um, M60, I think, is the organization that puts it on. So there's different things that you need to do in it, and you're committed to doing each one every day. If you don't do it, you're supposed to set yourself back to day one. So when I first signed up, I almost five minutes, <coughs> I started reading exactly what I had to do, and the realization that I was going to have to call someone, uh, an old friend or family member, someone that I've lost touch with, every single day for those 60 days, that made me want to quit. That made me want to just say, fuck it, keep my money. Um, I don't want anything to do with this. But I texted Eugene and he came back with some great ideas of all the different people I could talk to and why it's good. And um, and that's actually been probably one of the best parts about it. It's been awesome reconnecting with my buddies. I've gotten something really good from each of them, whether it is, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it feels good to talk to old friends. So sometimes they're pumping me up. Other times I'm pumping them up. Um, what we've learned from each other, just different stuff like that. So that part of it's been really cool. I'm going to, you know, obviously continue doing that. The part that's really hard and that not so comfortable is the workouts. Um, I didn't think it was going to be a big deal, but I also overestimated my physical ability. Uh, the first day was simply running, uh, well, it's two workouts a day. So the weights aren't that bad. Um, my legs are pretty sharp. I'm just, so everything hurts with, from the weights and everything. But it's the running that's killing me. Um, the first day was just a 35-minute jog at the park. And that was brutal. Uh, I'm just very slow. Uh, I did th that run again last night. It was a little bit better. Time got a little bit better. So I know every time it's going to improve. Um, but it's pretty painful. I haven't been in this sore in a super long time. I know it's only going to get more difficult. Uh, but I'm going to push through it and get through all 60 days. That is the game plan. That's what I'm saying I'm going to do. So that's what I'll do. Uh, definitely been having a lot of uh, like back pain and knee pain, but I'll just wrap up and get through it. Uh, this would have been so much easier 30 years ago or 20 years ago, but there's no excuses. I see what everyone else in the group is doing and what kind of difficulties they have and you know uh, where they're training, if they got to do it in the snow, all these other things. Like I'm not going to complain. So I'm just going to get it done. And I know at the end of the 60 days, I'll do be feeling so much better. Um, another aspect of it is uh, spirituality, listening to mindfulness meditations, uh, which is something I'm already kind of doing. Uh, listen, whether it's positive uh, talk, self-talk, or um, you know, my breathing, just a meditation in the sauna, something like that. But these are small meditations, so I'm doing that, having to watch a video every day, then also reading one book a week. Um, which is pretty much what I've been doing as long as it's, but it's all been nonfiction. Uh, but the book I'm reading right now, so I'm reading their book that, uh, comes with the program with, with the challenge. Uh, I forget the name of it, but really good. I'm just slowly going through that. At the same time, I'm also reading uh, breath, which is amazing. Uh, last night was the first time 
I tried taping my lips shut uh, before going to bed. Yeah, I was like, my family's all about that. But uh, it is to stop me from snoring. Um, there's all kinds of super cool studies in the book. I recommend it to anyone that has uh, that's a mouth breather like I am and uh, and has issues like that. But it's uh, pretty cool. I think anyone could benefit from that book. So be sure to check that out. Uh, but that's about it, guys. I'm going to keep these short. I've really got a lot going on, uh, especially now that I have to do the two hours a day of working out. So... Ah, boy. All right, but I'm motivated. I'm excited. I'm happy about the weekend. I'm actually going to go... My hike today is going to be with an old friend that I talked to on Monday. So, um, and then a friend I talked to yesterday, I think I'm going to meet with him on Sunday. Of course, being safe and socially distanced, but still able to hang out and talk to people. Something I haven't been doing in a long time. So, it feels good to get out and do that. I highly recommend it. Anyways, let's go out on this. So, we're going to go out on 25 Perfect Days. The first story is five minutes alone. Uh, we have a, on YouTube, you can check out, there's a cool little movie we did, a short film. I think it's five minutes um, or right around there. My daughter has a little little role in it. Uh, so you can check that out as well. But here is the story. It is narrated by my friend Dave Thompson. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have an f- awesome week and I will talk to you guys next week. Later. How much damage could Michael really do in five minutes? It's not like he was launching a nuclear attack or sitting behind the wheel of a semi, plowing into pedestrians. He just had to stand in a room, an 8 by 10 concrete cell. It'd be over in a blink. Conference calls at his office allotted more time for being on hold. There was nothing to worry about. If this meant closure, it was worth every second. That's all Sarah wanted, after all. For the twins, for the family. They needed to move on. Sarah's voice came barreling up the stairs, saying breakfast was ready. Michael couldn't remember the last time he'd heard that. Couldn't remember the last time he hadn't awakened to her staring at the wall, lying there until the day was nearly done. Michael threw off the covers. He smelled bacon and coffee. Bypassing his work suits, Michael slipped on a pair of jeans and a polo and headed downstairs. Sarah was behind the stove in an apron, her hair pulled back in a ponytail, the way Michael remembered her, looking like a mom. It smells great, he said. Sarah scooped sizzling strips onto a plate, blotted them with a paper towel to soak up the grease. You talk to your boss, right? Sarah set the plate onto the kitchen table. Yeah. I just really don't want anyone calling today. Michael took his seat and poured a glass of orange juice. They won't. And I talked to the boys' principal, too. It won't even count as a sick day. Good. Sarah wiped her hands on her apron. Boys, come on, we're going to be late. Like they were waiting outside the door, the 15-year-old twins walked in and took their places. Justin to his father's left, Jeremy to the right. Black pants, black shirts, no words. Michael started to think the family might not be ready for this, but as if she was reading his mind, Sarah pointed at his shirt. You're not really going to wear that, are you? Michael realized he was the only one in white, not exactly an appropriate color for the occasion. 
I'll uh, change after we eat. Sarah pulled off her apron, taking a seat. She was wearing the black dress she wore for Jenny's eighth grade graduation. The dress Michael teased her about because she was just like the other parents, acting like it was some kind of big deal. Sarah asked the boys if they liked their eggs. They gave little nods. Sarah didn't respond, didn't touch her food. She just sat there, staring at her empty juice glass. Michael told himself it'd get easier. After breakfast, the two-hour ride to San Angeles was quiet. Only Sarah spoke, and only once. She said, This is good. This is going to be good. When they got to the new Parker Center, Michael kept the doors locked. There's something I have to say. Sarah pulled on the handle. We've already discussed this. Open it. Yeah, Dad. Jeremy sat up and glared in the rear view, his eyes the size of golf balls. You promised. Michael didn't know if that was true. He couldn't remember promising, but he couldn't remember not promising either. It had been like that lately. Michael's recent memory had become a thick fog, and as always, he was too exhausted to try to cut through it. Instead, he just wondered what kind of father would promise his children something like this and unlocked everyone's door. The cop at the desk signed them in, told them to be sure to keep track of the time. Five minutes each, not a second more. Sarah grabbed the pen, signed her name. They had agreed she could go first. A uniformed officer led Sarah away. The desk cop pointed Michael and the boys across the hall. Someone will come for you. The waiting room was cold and small, the floor and walls a dull white. The boys were on the little couch. Jeremy sat with his fists pushed together, his steel-toed boot tap, tap, tapping. Michael wondered if Sarah had bought them, just for today. Justin sat hunched over too, but different, like there should be a bucket between his feet. Michael felt he should ask if they were okay, give the boys a chance to back out. But Sarah said they had the right. What if it had been his sister? Michael didn't have a sister, but he understood what she meant. This would give them a little control, help them move past this. Michael locked eyes on the clock. Four minutes past nine. A cop called Michael's name from the doorway. He got up without saying a word to the boys. The elevator took him down to an unmarked floor in a long hallway, the fluorescent lights and ceramic tiles part of the original building. They turned right at the next hallway. Sarah was down at the end. An officer led her by the elbow, her face speckled red, the same color dripping from her clenched fists. Sarah didn't even glance at Michael as they passed, ragged breath seeping through her plastered smile beneath a vacant gaze. Michael's officer nudged him toward the door. Mr. Adams, you've been advised of your rights. Do you have any questions? He did have questions. What would he see on the other side? Did he really want to know what his wife was capable of? And what about the boys? The officer unlocked the door. Red globs covered the floor, fragments of Sarah's footprints. Michael started to ask if it could be cleaned then realized how ridiculous that would be. Mr. Adams, clock's ticking. Michael stepped inside. 
The dimly lit room smelled of blood and sweat. That's what he remembered about Jenny's birth. The complications. All that blood. It was three days before the doctor took Jenny out of the NICU bed and said they could hold her. Michael was scared because Jenny was so small, but once she was in his arms, he swore he'd never let go. He'd protect her from everything. But Michael failed. The monster who raped and murdered his baby girl sat naked, his hands cuffed to the top of the table. Sarah had kept her word, but just barely. Olsen's eyes were swollen, but he could still open them. For a second, Michael thought this was the wrong guy. Olsen looked nothing like the family man with five adoring kids. Each of them had written Michael and Sarah at least once a week, begging them not to come today. They asked for mercy. They said none of this would bring Jenny back. Sarah burned every letter. The cell looked like the interrogation room from an old cop show. Three bare metal walls. A fourth with a one-way mirror Sarah said she'd be behind. The only light flickered from the 60-watt bulb hanging over the table where the naked monster stood like something out of a horror movie. Olsen's face oozed blood, his nose flattened and mushed to the left. The whites of his eyes were clouded red. His left ear hung on by a few ropes of skin. Michael sat across from Olsen and stared at his hands. The top of the right one was a dark purple mass. The cuff smashed into the skin, looking like someone had slammed an anvil on it. Even if Olsen lived, it'd have to be amputated. But Olsen wasn't going to live. If he made it past today, they'd still fry him tomorrow. That's what Michael kept telling himself. An electric timer was mounted on the wall next to the mirror, 30 seconds already gone. Olsen's attack on Jenny lasted a minute and 53 seconds. Some coward on the third floor caught the whole thing on video. Below the timer was an iron stand that held a sledgehammer, a fireplace poker, and an aluminum baseball bat smudged red on the end. Olsen made a noise. It came out all mumbled through his broken jaw. Two teeth poked through his bottom lip. He was trying to speak, but Michael had heard enough of this prick's voice. During the trial, Olsen made a full confession and cried the entire time. He said Jenny had smiled at him. He said he couldn't help himself. He was sick. Olsen finally got out his words, clearer this time. Finish it, he said. Please. Michael closed his eyes and took a deep breath, tried to remember the last time he'd held Jenny. She was only thirteen. Kill me, Olsen begged. Michael banged the table and drove it into Olsen's chest, pinning him to the wall. Michael jumped to his feet. You don't get to decide. The timer said Michael had three minutes. He walked over, told himself not to pick up the poker, but there he was, pulling it out of the stand, careful not to cut himself on the razor-sharp hook and pointed tip. Olsen moaned, and Michael watched the seconds tick away. If Michael hit him once, that would be it. There'd be no stopping. 
At 2.42, Olsen said. She cried for you. Olsen cocked his head, raised the pitch in his voice, mimicking some ditzy teenaged girl. My daddy! My daddy! Michael spun around. Olsen leaned into it, but Michael let go of the handle, and the poker flew past Olsen's face, clanked off the wall. The timer hit Jenny's minute 53. The head of the sledgehammer was as wide as Michael's fist. One hit is all it would take. Finished. The boys wouldn't have to step foot in this room, lower themselves to this piece of shit. They wouldn't have to hear Olsen's goddamn voice. Michael reached out, picked up the sledgehammer, and faced the mirror. The man staring back looked nothing like the man Michael had awakened as. The mirror thumped. It thumped again, Sarah pounding it over and over until Michael let the sledgehammer fall to the ground. The timer was down to 1.15, the moment Jenny had stopped fighting, and Olsen slammed her head into the concrete. Each passing second was one less for Olsen, a little closer to the death he deserved. Michael concentrated on the mirror. He saw the timer and the reflection. The buzzer rang. His boys would get their five minutes alone. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.